Uh, this morning, I'm excited to kick off six weeks of this series that we're calling I Love My Church, uh, focused around thoughts and convictions and reminders of what this is uh, and why we love it. As we update some internal systems and make some major improvements to the way we're using internet technology to be more helpful for signups, registrations, communication, shepherding, giving, disciple making, I, I think it's important for us to go back and be reminded what is the church and why do we love it. Now, this is not going to be comprehensive, so at the end of week six, if you're like, you didn't mention this, I probably didn't, right? Uh, we're, we're going to hit on six major things, and that's what we're going to work through. Uh, but I want us to look at this because it's super important. If, uh, if this is where uh, we give our time and relational energy to, if it's these people, why should we love it? Uh, if, if the ministry of Moraine Valley, what we do here inside this building and what we do beyond the walls is so kingdom important, then why should we give our money? If, if what God's calling us to do is worth our life, Thessalonians, we give not just the gospel, but our own lives too. If it's worth that, why should we love this so much? It may be helpful for us to get rid of some preconceived notions. For me, it's helpful. Here's what church is not. Uh, church is not a seminary. Meaning, uh, though the Bible's teaching informs the way we live our lives, this is not solely a Bible training institute. It's also not a social club. Though friendships and community are incredibly important, uh, that really misses the, some of the whole of what we're here to do. Uh, it's also not a Sunday event organization. Though we do gather weekly as key moments of our life. Uh, church is not a spiritual vending machine. The church doesn't exist for us to put some money in, push someone's buttons until we get whatever we prefer or desire. Church is also not a product to consume, nor are they services to critique. The church is the bride of Christ, the children of God, the followers and co-heirs of our Savior and our King. We are the church. We're an expression of it that's local to this area of Chicagoland. Uh, the church meets broad and large throughout the globe. However, we're a part of a, a subsect of that family as we localize and we look around and say, here are our brothers and sisters that we live this Christian life with. The most used imagery and language in the New Testament for the church is family. And today I want us to look at this idea that we love our church family. Uh, that as we exist together, as we live together, as we walk with each other, that's what we're a part of. Now, 11 years ago, uh, my wife and I, Jonathan, our oldest, was barely one. Uh, we moved from downstate up to Chicago uh, to uh, the southwest suburbs uh, to start a church. We moved away from our family, uh, not because we were super excited to get rid of them, I won't say they weren't super excited to get rid of us, but when we moved up here, a large part for us became we were so used to living around family, church became family. Uh, it became brothers and sisters. It became uh, spiritual uh, mentoring older brothers and aunts and uncles and people who were uh, generations before, but also helping raise uh, families with generations Behind, they became the people that were helping us watch our kids, even down payments for us when we couldn't afford it, helping with uh, houses and cars and all kinds of things. And we got to watch the life of the church 
be family. It's the default posture of the New Testament for the Christians who are in community together to assume that this is our family. Over the next few weeks, we'll be looking at Jesus' church as holy, unified, generous, adopting, filled with faith. And today we'll be taking a 66-book view of a theme that rolls throughout Scripture, which is God working through family. Family is a way that different groups try to connect with each other, participate in their cause, and belong to their institutions. Everyone now is uh, trying to get you to be a part of their family. There's a local uh, private school that is by our house, and part of their marketing is they want to do something for you. They want to create family. Uh, In sports, I am begrudgingly a University of Illinois fan. And when the new football coach came in, one of the things he wanted to do to create a locker room culture uh, was he took uh, family but added an I-L-L. If you're not good at spelling, it's only one L in family. But to give Illinois, to make this feel like you're not just part of a football team, you're part of family. Youth sports. We're not going to spend a whole Sunday on it, though I could. Right? A lot of the culture and nature is to help you feel like you've been adopted, you get chosen, you get to belong to an elite group of (laughs) seven-year-olds and create a family. The problem with it is this, in all those different atmospheres, and you could go into the business world, right? You don't just own an iPhone, you get to be a part of the Apple family. You get what I'm saying? This language, sometimes we miss it, but it's out there, by claiming family, They are marketing the structure of family unit to get your time, your money, your energy, your loyalty, and any margin. Things that should be going to your family are now through marketing tactics, taking your allegiance, your finances, and your time. But God's design for family goes so much deeper than the word we tend to throw around in culture. Family isn't just a group to show up to or a product to buy or a team to sign up for or buy a hoodie of. It's a people to whom we deeply connect relationally on a whole different level. People we participate with in every aspect of each other's lives. People who have an eternal belonging with each other. God is regularly working through family. Through Adam and Eve, he says, be fruitful and multiply, fill and subdue the earth. It's through a family. Later, through Abram and Sarah, he gives this call that you are going to be a great nation. Your family is going to multiply throughout. And actually, my blessing is going to go through that family, and that's how the families of the earth and nations will be blessed. It's through that family that we get this line of kings that's promised as it's uh, prayed over the 12 sons into the line of Judah. There's going to be through your family, there's a line of kings. The scepters won't depart. And ultimately, it's going to come to one to whom it belongs. And through that family, we get the birth lineage through the Gospels of Jesus. When we come to Jesus, all the ways Jesus could have entered the world, God chose for him to be with us through an infant birth, to be raised by a family. He could have parted the clouds and came in on a horse, but showed up to a family. There's a moment in Jesus, as Jesus' reputation is spreading and people are clamoring to see him, we get a unique scene into Jesus' life 
where he's stuffed into a house, there's no room, he's talking, everybody's listening, and when Jesus, uh, in that moment, Jesus starts talking about family. I love this one moment before I get there. When Jesus is baptized, we hear God speaking as a perfect father to his son, saying, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Isn't that what we want to hear from our fathers? And it's what we hear from ours. You are loved, you are mine, and I'm pleased with you. Matthew chapter 12, verse 46, while he was still speaking to the crowds, behold, his mother and his brothers came, his actual ones, and they were standing outside seeking to speak with him. Someone said to him, look, your mother and your brothers are standing outside seeking to speak with you. What's interesting here is if you read Mark's account in Mark chapter 3, uh, we find out that it mentions uh, that they didn't yet understand his teachings, and Mark says they were there because they thought he lost his mind. I don't know if you've got any family members you think lost their mind. They show up to Jesus. I love this. In verse 48, Jesus replied to the one who was telling him and said this, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And extending his hand towards his disciple, he said, behold, my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of my father in heaven, he is my brother and my sister and my mother. You see Jesus extending family beyond what he was born into, into the family that God is creating through him. When teaching the disciples to pray, when they ask, Jesus instructs them to pray like this, our Father, who is heaven, who is in heaven. When the resurrected Jesus appeared to the women at the tomb, he said, do not be afraid, go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee where they will see me. This language was common in, in Jewish life to refer to your, uh, the, the men in the Jewish community as brothers, the women as sisters. Jesus brings that into the life of his disciples in the church. It's not just a generic term for friends. It goes deeper into a spiritual community that's built because of the Lord. The Spirit of God speaks through the authors of the New Testament letters, and they use explicit family language to describe the church. Uh, the church we love belongs to God's household or his family. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. He says, so then you are no longer strangers or foreigners, but you are fellow citizens with saints and are of what? God's household or God's family, right? You're no longer foreigners or strangers. You no longer don't belong. Actually, now you're in this family. 1 Timothy 3.15 Paul writes, I write so that you will know how one should act in the what? Household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. Don't forget your job description, church family. Galatians chapter 6, Paul writes, so then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially those who are of the what? The household of faith. Go beyond the household and dive into the, the church we love are the children of God. Just so you know, I was trying to figure out if it's are the children of God or is the children of God. So if you are good at English, please write me that lengthy email later. First John 3, chapter 1, John writes, See how great 
a love of Father has given us that we would be called children of God. And in fact, we are. Don't miss the weight and the power of what John's conveying as he speaks into the lives of believers who are under persecution by this time, struggling, hiding in caves, running from the government. In all of these, remember the reminders that were children of his. John chapter 1, verse 12, but to all who did receive him and who believe in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God who were born not of blood nor of the will of the flesh nor of the will of man, but of God. We get a good image and a good understanding, a good teaching of why we belong in the family, what it is that includes us into it. 1 John 3.10, he says this, by this the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Well, now we got two different families and we have to figure out which one are we a part of. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother and sister. So how can we know if we're in this family? If you were to go back over these verses, it's to the one who receives him. Well, how do we receive him? The better question is, how does he show up? Because you can't receive him as something he's not. He shows up as the anointed king. That scepter from the line of Judah shown up through Christ. He shows up that way. Do you receive him as Lord? If you believe in his name, the Old Testament idea of name is this, of character, reputation. Do you give your trust to the very nature of Jesus? Not just that he can save you, but that the way he leads you, teaches you, models life for you, and guides you is the way, the truth, and the life. Not just an intellectual agreement, but a trust in all that he is and all that he said. It's when you practice righteousness, living in alignment with God in right living. It's when you love your brothers and your sisters. And if the children of God are the ones who have received Christ, who believe in his name, then when we love our brothers and sisters is when we love back into our church family. All of creation is loved by God. We hear that in John 3.16. But not everyone is a child of God. Those who have received Jesus as king, believed in all that he is, live in alignment with God, loves their church family, those are God's children. So when we show up to here, we're not showing up to a worship service, we're showing up to a family gathering. And what we do together is worship the king that we've received and into whom we believe. In the Bible's big picture, all the language points us towards this global understanding of God's family. But Jesus trains and equips and disciples his followers in how to develop local expressions of God's global church. This is who we are, big picture, but when the disciples go out, they train it with each other. Paul, Peter, James, Jude, John, all write letters to local church families who are people who bring this global belonging and identity into their own cities and into their own neighborhoods. One day, we're going to have the best family reunion you've ever seen. And we'll see people from every tongue, tribe, nation, people group, and ethnic background. There's going to be language you didn't know. And you're going to hear them worshiping the king. 
But the for now version of that is when you look around this room. These are the people we traveled towards that family gathering with as we gather as this family. The new covenant reality of God's people is family, community of people who live in the rule and reign of Jesus together. His teachings, his example, his posture, his attitude. The New Testament letters speak into these families in different cities, contexts, experiences, different struggles. And over and over we hear these charges or instructions or commands on how to live with one another. Some call them the one another's of the Bible. Now, what I want us to be reminded of is these are not given into a void. These are given into the context of this kind of group. To these local church families that are struggling together figured out. How many of you have no church or no family issues in your own family? Just making sure you're human like the rest of us, okay? Right? And just like every family, right? You've got the weird uncle who only wants to talk about politics, right? Uh, You've got the, the aunt that's over here complaining about something, right? The kids are running around like crazy and you're trying to figure out who's their parents until you find out they're your kids, right? And we jump into the church family and we see, man, God didn't just pull this image out. This is, this is what this is. We get to walk with each other, learn from each other. There's wisdom as we look to generations ahead. And there's joy and youthfulness as we look to the younger generations that are currently meeting behind me. And we're raising each other's kids and we're walking with each other. We're helping bury people as they pass and mourn in hospital rooms. We're supporting each other and walking with each other. This isn't just a normal group of people that are meeting together once a week. There's a family that God's built. And as we live into that and press into that, the question for us to becomes, am I receiving all my family has for me? And am I giving into my family all that God's put into me? These will show up through this series, these one another's, but I wanted us to be reminded that these are written to local church families. They are directed to how to live within that church family. One of the things I think that catches us is purely just the English language is limited sometimes in how we translate. Paul will use the word you over and over, and if you look into the Greek, it's you plural, Right? And we don't really have a good word for that, at least in proper English. And this is where I get joy in saying sometimes God needs us to step outside of proper English. If you're in Texas, this could be translated y'all. Actually, more, more appropriately, it'd be all y'all. Right? Now in Chicago, the more perfect way, this would be use guys. Right? It's Paul's way of reminding these truths aren't just for you and your chair, it's for your church family as you live this together. This is a word for all y'all or for you guys. Us together live in these truths. These are for us, but they're also for us to do, not just to receive. So I want us to look through some of these in just some brief categories uh, that, that aren't Uh, the complete picture, but I think it'll help us get there. Number one is that we live continually connected to our church family. You cannot be in isolation and be a part of the church. We live in a time where the population has never been higher and loneliness has never been more pervasive. This was a trend starting way before COVID. 
Families, kids, parents, adults, all more isolated and individualized than ever before. Actually, most social scientists would point to the, eye, uh, the, the smartphones as the beginning of it, not a pandemic. Pandemic just magnified what was already trending. Today, if you had an issue with someone at Moraine Valley Church, you could slip out, find some other church to attend, and escape conflict and healing altogether. But that is to neglect your connection to the family of God. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 says, let us consider how to stir one another, stir up one another to love and to good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. The tendency may be to draw back, but Hebrews says, like shaking a snow globe, is your job is to make sure that we are shaken up so that this love is what is pouring out and good works. You may not want to show up to some of our times with this church family, but instead show up to encourage one another all the more because the Lord's return is coming closer. I hope you get this. What the writer of Hebrews is conveying is this reminder for us is you can't encourage one another if you're not a part of one another. No one here can know what you're thinking, even if it's the most encouraging thoughts, if you don't open your mouth, if you don't send that text, if you don't write that email, if you don't ask for that coffee. It's hard to build each other up when we're not a part of each other. Romans chapter 12, verse 10, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Outdo one another in showing honor. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Devoted to one another. Not show up when you feel like it, right? Not punch your time card. Remember Sunday school with the perfect attendance stars, right? Great, but are you devoted to the people you're showing up to? You could be here every week, you could show up once a month. The point is, are you devoted yourself, and are you trying to outdo everyone in this room by showing honor to everyone else in this room? It's not a, it's not a I didn't receive, it is, man, this is my job to give. Give yourselves to each other. Who is one another? Thank you for the word us. Be looking for ways to make others around you feel more honored. Oftentimes, we're looking for ways to critique what everyone's doing instead of looking what people are doing and honoring that that is how God is showing up in their lives and pouring himself through them into us. And we'll miss it because we're looking at what's not happening versus all that is. First Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians 13, 11, finally, brothers, rejoice. That's a whole sermon there. A little joy would do us good. Aim for restoration. He doesn't say, hope it just happens naturally. If you've ever gone shooting, you don't just put that sucker at your hip and pull the trigger. If you do, someone could die. You've got to aim. You have to be intentional that your target is where you're pointed towards. Here, what he's saying is what you should be pointed towards is restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. You want God with you? Then go back to the one another's. 
Because God's going to show up through us when you show up to us. You can't obey this verse in isolation from community or by attending a worship service. This is required communal connection to a local expression of God's family. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, he says, Be kind to one another, compassionate. Get ready for this command. Forgiving one another, each other, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. Notice he doesn't say forgive them more than the guy two rows in front of you. Forgive them to the extent that you've been forgiven in Jesus because that is what makes this whole room bound together. Don't run away or hide when conflict separates. Initiate forgiveness because God has forgiven you and Jesus. Galatians 6, 2, bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. You can't bear one another's burdens by yourself. You've got to be together to know what burdens you're bearing. And here's the hard truth. Your burdens are too big for you to carry on your own. Have you ever considered maybe by keeping your burdens to yourself, you aren't activating the family of God around you to carry your burdens with you? That maybe one of the reasons the church grows still, and let's use the word lazy sometimes, is because we don't let the church in to bear the burdens that God has asked us to give so that I don't have to do this on my own, but you can do it together? If you are exhausted or defeated, it may not be because you're in a heavy season. It may be because you're disconnected from the family of God who will carry this burden with you. Romans 15, 7, therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. You get that? God gets glorified when we welcome people in to this beautiful family that God's called us to. You can't hide in the shadows when you're called to welcome each other. Now, this doesn't mean you have to be the most excited, extroverted, I can't wait to talk to every single person in the room kind of person. What it does mean is for all of us, we're called to welcoming because it gives glory to God. You need to be continually connected to a church family because you were not created to live this life alone. And I would say this on the flip side. You need a church family to be continually connected to because you need connection with people who will love you, forgive you, comfort you, exhort you, connect with you, correct you, agree with you, and live in peace with you. You need people who are going to carry those burdens. Second one is this. Live participating in the lives of your church family. It's not just about showing up. It's about how do I give and what am I receiving? How, how do we give together? We are all crippled to some extent by an empty confidence that has deceived us into believing this lie. I got this. Anybody else have a chronic response to that? Hey, uh, can I help you? No, 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 I got this. Hey, do you need help? No, 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 I got this. Hey, do, no, 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 you got so much going on. I got this, right? Do you, get, do you get what that builds in you? Do you also understand how that trains the people around you on how to approach you? It's probably more so in the country we live in because of some of our traditions and history and background. We value the individual so much that we forgot that that's not what we were created into is that you don't got this. If you did, the gospel 
wasn't necessary. We need outside help from the Lord, and oftentimes, guess who he's showing up through for your prayers? This room of people. Self-sufficiency has stolen our under, or, and underserved our creative purpose. You aren't just a spectating recipient. You are an engaged partner in the family of God. Galatians 5.13 says this, For you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but serve one another through love. What do we do with this freedom we've been given in Christ? Figure out how do I serve more people. Now I'm not carrying all this baggage that, of my guilt and my shame. That's all been taken care of at the cross. Now with this freedom, I get to serve and give and lavish God's love on this group of people. Your freedom in Christ isn't to make you feel good. It's to serve your church family through love. 1 John 3.16, the other good John 3.16, says we know love by this, that he laid down his life for us. Now pay attention. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. But whoever has worldly goods and sees his brother or sister in need and closes his heart against them, how does the love of God remain in him? Little children, love that John slips into the old grandpa role right there. Let's not love with words or with tongue, but in deeds and truth. Don't just say you love your church, show up and love them. This isn't hypothetical. And many of you have stories. Your church family, some of you in this room have had cars paid for by church family. Some of you have had mortgages paid off by church family. Some of you have had help with your children through this church family. Some of you have walked through the valley of death, but not alone because you did it with this church family. This church family has given you opportunities and the list goes on and on and on. Some of us have just not stopped enough to thank God for what he's given you in this church family so you don't understand what a blessing it is to belong to a group like this. Like John said, don't just say you love your church family, show them. First Peter 4.9 says, be hospitable to one another without complaint. Hold up. Some of you need to write that on a post-it and put it on your mirror. So every morning, don't forget those last two words, by the way, super important. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. We got to start asking, is Peter serious or are these just like suggestions if you feel like it? This is really letting people into your lives and into your homes, partnering with them and their lives. If you are opening up your home and without complaining... The image is this, everything God's given me is a joy to welcome anyone into. Everything I've got does not have my name on the deed, it's got the Lord's, and it's a life on loan. So Lord, however you want to use it, this is yours. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 12, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. You get the image? This isn't you on your own showing up and hoping you like the sermon that week. It's you surrendering yourself to a church family, submitting yourself so that together, as with mutual submission, that you get what we've got, we get what you've got, and God uses all this as one body with arms and legs, pinky toes and earlobes, to build up into this body who we were created to be. 
Third one is this, live out a mutual belonging with your church family. You don't need more stuff to show up to, would be my guess. You're not trying to figure out what to do with all your time, right? But you do need a spiritual family rooted in Jesus to belong to. Our belonging to each other is identified when we love one another. Our belonging to each other is identified. Here's how you know that your belonging is when you start loving one another. John 13, 35, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. We worked through this all summer, so I don't want to spend a lot of time on it, but this is a commandment from Jesus to love one another. To fully live into the Jesus-following life is to look around this room and figure out what you've got to give and how love is going to be the vehicle to get it there. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Remind me again, who's one another? Us. 1 John 3.18, little children, we read this before, let's not love with word or tongue, but in deed and in truth. Remember, not just saying the right words or passing the Sunday school test that, yes, I agree, I'm supposed to love one another, but actually doing it. 1 John 4.11, beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Almost as though assuming, wouldn't it be ridiculous if God poured out his love on us and we didn't pour it back out to everyone else? No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God lives here, he abides in us, and his love is made perfect in us. Not you. Use the word again. Us. When we love, God abides here in this church family, and his love, listen, his love is perfected in us. That is powerful. When we love one another, God moves in and his love gets its complete image when it's shared within God's family to each other. 1 John 4.21, and this commandment that we have from him, whoever loves God must also highlight those words. Not like if you feel like it or it's sunny outside or if you've got extra time or money. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. These aren't options or suggested. This is a way of life from the scripture we hold as truth. You need to live out a mutual belonging with your church family because we need each other. There's an incredible story that Jesus tells. It's one of the first ones I remember from flannel board Sunday school growing up. Some of you are blessed with that technology in discipleship, Right? And one of the early stories I remember hearing was the story of this family. It was a dad who had two sons, and one son one day came to the father and said, I want my inheritance so I can go live however I want. One of the crazy parts of the story is the father actually gives the money. And the son goes and does what all of us have gone and done. They go and blow it. In this scripture, it says on wild living. Now translate that however you want to in your own testimony. But there's this thing that happens. The money runs out. But not only was it mismanagement of finances, there is a, uh, there's a famine that hits the land. 
So it's not just that he doesn't have money, it's that no one has resources. All of a sudden, everything's gone. And he goes to a pig farmer, if culturally you understand, this would have been like highly humbling, to say the least. And his longing for the food that the pigs are eating. I love the way the Gospels tell this story because it says, when he came to his senses... There's a moment in running from the family when we come to our senses. And guess what? He didn't have dad's money, so his resources were gone. He was all alone. He couldn't have the household structure, the farm, all the resources of the family, so he was alone. He didn't have the food that the family was eating that night. He was all alone. You get it? He had a family back here. And he was all alone out here. And there's this moment where he comes to his senses. And he realizes, I've got a father and a family that's got all of the stuff that I'm needing. And even if they would just take me in as a servant, that would be enough. And so on his way home, he's rehearsing this speech that he never gets to use. Trying to walk his dad through this story of here's what I've done and here's what's going on and here's why I'm sorry. And you know that painstaking story that maybe some of you have had to memorize and trying to dish it out and give it out because you know it's going to be a struggle to look him in the eye and have to apologize. And almost at some end, out of our guilt and shame, feel like we've got to wallow there and really take a hit. But I love this before the son is even able to open his mouth and start this rehearsed speech. His father comes running down the driveway, wraps his son up in a big hug, throws a cloak around and puts a ring on his finger, welcomes him back, not as the servant he was expecting or even praying for, but brings him into the family. Because in the father's eyes, he never left the family, he just left the house. Some of you, I wanna encourage with this, some of you have felt isolated, you felt alone, you've been out there on your own, you've been trying to figure out how to make it true, this lie that you got this. Can I encourage you in a room like this where we could all say, uh, those of us who have learned enough can say, guess what? I love belonging to a family full of people where we know we don't got this. Jesus does, and he's using the rest of us to help us get this. I wanna encourage you, as we close our time. Because John says in chapter 112, but to all who did receive him and believed in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God. To come back home because you belong and you're here. Some of you, it is time to respond to Jesus and his invitation to come home. For you to be adopted into this family of God that we've been adopted into, for you to hear the Lord's voice, to feel the Spirit's conviction, to know that what Christ did on Calvary was for your sin and was for your freedom. And he doesn't just die and then all of a sudden you're on a waiting bench until you get there. You enter into a family who we're gonna spend eternity with. Some of you need to be a part of that family. Some of you, uh, you, you kinda know what that uh, hog food tastes like a little bit. 
You've been out on your own. You've got to that point where maybe today is that I came to my senses. I need people. I need community. I need family. And I can tell you this because our family just went through the process. This is a good one. You need the people around here. You need people who's got gifts that are better than yours, insights that are beyond what you can see, people who can wrap their arms around you and walk with you because you can't do this alone. Some of you need to take a step of being baptized. And, and you need to make that known. You, you need to not just be saved, though that's enough, but to be buried with Christ and rise to walk in this new life with him and I love, uh, I remember a preacher when I was in college saying this, as soon as you dry off, you get welcomed into the family. There might be a bad baptism theology there, but work with it. You know what he's saying. This new creation is not to go off on your own and try to figure it out. It's to be here with us and do this together. Would you stand and pray? I want to encourage you. Uh, is if, if you've got some heavy stuff you're carrying around belonging, around family, around your relationship with the Lord, around guilt and shame that's kept you back after service, and we'll be guided in that, there, we're going to have elders and deacons up here who, who, who are waiting and asking and praying that you would get over yourself and come be prayed over. And we're going to have an opportunity to go out in the lobby, into the atrium, and, and, and get to mingle with each other. Listen, Sometimes the Lord kills the fattened calf and sometimes he brings donuts, all right? Donuts are out in the lobby. Don't, don't run away today. Don't quickly exit. Hang out with your church family. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, Father, would you, would you impress your spirit on us in this closing song and this time of worship? God, would you remind us who we are in you? Would you remind us of our own story? for those of us who are believers and uh, who can tend to have these running away from home and knowing we're welcome back moments. God, would you, would you remind those that are outside of your family that the price has been paid, Jesus has died, his blood's been shed, forgiveness has been given. Father, would you work as we sing? Would you show up? Would there be people who don't miss your spirit to receive you and to believe in your name so that they could become children of God. Father, we love you and we give all this in Jesus' name. Amen.